1: The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent.
2: Fatima cigarettes. Best of all,
1: long cigarettes brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to accident investigation, hit-and-run detail. You receive a call that two elderly women have been struck down on a crosswalk by a hit-and-run driver. The women lie in Georgia Street Hospital. Their condition is critical. Your job? Find the driver. In Fatima, the difference is quality. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Quality of tobaccos. The finest domestic and Turkish varieties, extra mild. Superbly blended to give you Fatima's much different, much better flavor and aroma. Quality of manufacture.
2: Smooth, round, perfect Fatima cigarettes. Rolled in the finest paper money can buy. Manufactured in the newest and most modern of all cigarette factories.
1: Quality. Even to the appearance of the bright, clean, golden yellow Fatima package. So compare Fatima yourself. Today, you'll find Fatima gives you all the advantages of extra length, plus Fatima quality, which no other king-size cigarette has. Yes, light up a Fatima. Your first puff will tell you...
3: Ah, that's different.
1: Because in Fatima, the difference is quality. Dragnet
2: the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action.
4: It was Saturday, September 5th. It was mild in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of accident investigation, hit-and-run detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Benny Caldwell, chief of traffic. My name's Friday. It was 7:35 p.m. when I got to 4656 Collis Avenue, my front door.
5: Is that you, sir?
4: Yeah, ma. Got both Sunday papers.
5: Oh, good. It's nice music on the radio, isn't
4: it? Yeah, it's pretty. It's your favorite song, isn't it?
5: Yes. See you in my dreams. Every Saturday night, we used to get together down at the old Cromwell House on West Adams Boulevard. Weekly dance, you know. Yeah, I know. It was a lovely old home down there. That a beautiful ballroom upstairs. Always had a good time at the Cromwell House.
4: Was that before you were married?
5: Oh, my, yes. Met your father through Mildred Cromwell, you know. She was quite fond of him, too. Is that so? Yes, she was. Oh, nothing serious, but you used to think quite a lot of Sam.
4: You broke him up, huh?
5: Now, Joseph, you know I wouldn't do a thing like that. When Millie was only mildly interested in Sam, I wouldn't come between two people that were happy. You know that. Well,
4: that isn't the way he used to tell it. Said you just broke him up, that's
5: all. Yes. Well. He ever tell you about the time all the... Girls invited some of the fellows from the Royal Order of the Western Wildlife Protective Brotherhood, Southern Charter, over to the basket raffle. To a what? Basket raffle. All the girls packed tasty lunches and the boys bid for them at auction. Oh, yeah. It was a warm summer evening, just like tonight. It was a grand affair. Annie Shellman was there with Jim Donahoe and... Your father came with Lorenzo Fisher, the grand passier of the wildlifers.
4: Well, yeah, sounds like quite an evening.
5: Oh, it was, Joseph. It really was. Samuel bid the highest for my basket. Ten dollars and fifteen cents. I'll always think to this day that's the reason Millie Cromwell's been so cool toward me.
4: Well, yeah, could be. You want part of the examiner, Ma?
5: Oh, thank you, son. I want to finish turning this collar in your shirt. Okay. You wouldn't think a basket lunch could come between two good friends, would you?
4: A big pardon? What's that?
5: you would ever think a basket lunch would break up a friendship like Millie Cromwell's and mine?
4: No, ma'am, you wouldn't. I'll get it, Ma. Friday talking. This McDermott, Joe. Oh, yeah, ma'am. Got a bad one. And was struck by a hit and run. Well, just a minute, Mac, I can't hear. Hey, Ma, would you turn down the radio, please? You're all right. Thank you. Yeah, Mac, go ahead. Three blocks west of Riverside on Los Feliz. We have two traffic cars out there now for the preliminary investigation. you Romero better roll on it. Right, Mac, right away. I've already notified Romero
6: he's on his way over to pick you up now.
4: Okay, I'll be ready. Keep me informed, huh? Right, Mac, Bye.
5: Did you have to go back to work, Joseph?
4: Yeah, where'd you put my flashlight, do you remember?
5: It's right here in the desk.
4: Okay, thank you.
5: What is it, son? An accident?
4: Yeah, a bad one, it sounds like. Hit and run.
5: Who was it, did they say?
4: A couple of elderly women struck down up on Las Feliz. Oh, isn't
5: that terrible?
4: Yeah, Ma, they're all terrible. Ten minutes after I hung up the phone, Ben arrived at 8.10 p.m., we got to the intersection of Los Feliz Boulevard and Commonwealth Avenue. The bodies of the two victims had been removed and taken to the Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. One of the uniformed officers was taking photographs of the scene. His partner was picking up particles of glass and all physical evidence left by the hit-and-run driver. He identified himself as Officer E.W. Hyde, Unit 61T. t few pieces of the headlight lens and the chrome ring about all and this is the point of impact huh? yeah that's right it's 24 feet south of the northerly pavement and about 12 feet east of the westerly curb line right in the crosswalk up there huh yeah been freshly painted the driver couldn't miss seeing it couldn't? yeah it's well illuminated good street lighting up here hide were the signals in operation no they weren't Boulevard
6: stop here though
4: blinkers are all in operation how far were the bodies of the victims thrown
6: body number one was thrown 70 feet body number two was knocked 38 feet in the southwest direction both came to rest approximately at the center line of the street
4: Mm. whoever did it was going at a high rate of speed that's what we figured i told you there were no skid marks didn't i yeah you did any witnesses yeah there's three but only one i think will be helpful what's the name and address he's right over there on the curb now name's richard mortigan runs a nursery there well, thanks, Hyde. You're going to make the reports and book the evidence, are you? Yeah, I'll take care of it. That's Mortigan over there in the tan overalls. So. All right. Thanks a lot, Hyde. Okay. Uh, your name Richard Mortigan, is that right, sir? Yeah, that's right. Police officers, Mr. Mortigan. This is Sergeant Romero. Well, how are you? you, sir. My name's Friday. We're out of accident investigation. I'd like to talk to you about the accident that just happened here. Sure was a bad one. Hope you catch those kids. Didn't even slow down. I understand you witnessed the accident wonder if you'd be kind enough to tell us what you saw I was
7: just closing up my nursery here just unlocked my car and was about to get in when I saw this car come shooting up Los Feliz there fast clip Mm -hmm. where were the two women they were just stepping off the curb under the crosswalk over there I could tell they didn't see the car yelled honked my horn guess I wasn't quick enough it was just awful go on Mr. Martin. oh the way that car hit those women looked to me like he knocked them 50 feet at least then, just like nothing at all, the car raced right on through the intersection, on down Los Feliz, that way. Mm-hmm. Did you get a look at the driver? No, sir. Not too good, but I believe he had blonde hair. Looked to me like he was alone in the car. Mm-hmm. Anything more about him? Looked like a young kid to me. I'll bet on that. He was young, blonde kid,
4: about oh, 18, 19, on in there. Now, how about the car he was driving? Can you he help us out there, sir? I believe it was a Ford. I don't
7: know what year. Yeah, a Ford sedan, two-door. What color was it? Black. Dark blue. I'd say black. Mm-hmm. Did you happen to get the license number, sir? You no, know, sir. Everything happened so fast, I guess I was kind of stunned for a minute. You know how you'd be. Sorry, wish I did. Then I mean, you're pretty sure about the car, Mr. Mortigan. Are you familiar enough with cars to be positive it was a Ford? Yeah, I think
4: I am. And you don't know what year the car was? No, sir. I'm sorry, I don't. Just know it was a Ford sedan. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Mortigan. We may have to check back with you later. Anytime. I'm glad to do whatever I can to help you get that driver. How can we get a hold of you, Mr. Mortigan?
7: Well, I'm right here, all times. Mortigan Nurseries, 4402 Los Feliz. Phone number, Normandy 32257. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Those two old women, they didn't have a chance the minute they stepped off the curb. Crazy kid didn't even stop to see if he could help them. Yes, sir. We know. Then again, maybe he didn't see them. Maybe it wasn't his fault.
4: Well, whose fault was it he didn't stop? <laughs> Before we left the scene of the accident, we interviewed the other two witnesses, but they could add nothing to Richard Mortigan's statement. Investigation disclosed that victim number one was a Marcella R. Norton, age 58. Victim number two was identified as Elizabeth Ann Carey, age 65. Ben and I drove over to the Hollywood station where we met Officer Hyde, who was just completing his reports and was booking the physical evidence found at the scene of the accident. Included in the evidence were the topcoats worn by the victims at the time they were struck down. All this was turned over to Lieutenant Lee Jones in the crime lab. Ben and I compiled the small amount of information that we had. The physical evidence found at the scene and the scanned information that the witnesses were able to give us. Not enough for us to attempt to identify the driver of the hit-and-run car. Well, there wasn't much to go on. 9.54 p.m. We got a call from Lee Jones, who said that he'd completed his investigation and wanted to see us right away. We went over to the crime lab.
6: I think maybe I got what you need here.
4: Well, we haven't got much now, so almost anything will help, Lee. Let's go back here. All right.
7: First off, your witness out there, what was his name? Mortigan. Yeah, well, Mortigan was right. The car
6: was black. Then a microscopic analysis on scrapings found on the victim's coats. Yeah. I'd say a black car. Previously painted tan or sand color under the black. That was one of the
4: things he's positive of. How about the make and the models? Anything there? Is that too much to ask? I think maybe I can help you there, too. What's the break-in? Let's see. Just got back from
7: the lighthouse. Ran a lens meter test on those pieces of broken headlight lens, and the
4: diapter reading shows that that particular type lens was made in 1934. Well, how about the make of the
6: car, Lee? Mm-hmm. The only company that used this type of lens was the Ford Motor Company. Pretty positive about it? Ran a spectrographic test on the chemical composition of the glass in the lens. Checks out.
4: Well, we got a car to work on. That's it, 1934 Ford Black. Oh, thanks a lot,
7: Lee. It's all right. When you find the car, I can tie it in definitely for you. Oh, well, that's fine.
6: Oh, excuse me. Crime Lap Jones, they're right here,
4: Mac. Just a minute. So either one of you, it's McDermott. I'll take it, Jim. Okay. Yeah, Max Romero. Oh, when? Yeah, me too. Yeah, right. Mac just got word from Georgia Street. Yeah. Both victims. They just died. With the death of the two victims, what had only been a hit-and-run felony had now become a case of manslaughter, two counts. Ben and I went back to the office and met with Lieutenant McDearman. Past experience has proven to the traffic officer that the quickest and surest way to a successful prosecution of a hit-and-run case is with the full cooperation of the average citizen. A hit-and-run felony differs from the ordinary police case in that the investigating officers are not dealing with a criminal suspect. In a case of this nature, the guilty party could well be the outstanding citizen of his community. In all probability, he had no motive for a crime, only motive in running from the scene of the accident. Well, the one way to gain citizen cooperation was to acquaint him with all the details of the accident, any and all information that we had or would obtain as the case worked towards solution. 10.15 p.m., Saturday, September 5th. In addition to the emergency broadcast put out at the time of the accident, supplemental broadcasts and APBs were sent out. Ben and I then started to make up a special police bulletin. Wanted for manslaughter and hit-and-run felony. Okay. Uh, information regarding identity of occupant of following hit-and-run vehicle. Hmm. Regarding identity of occupant. Yeah. Vehicle. Okay. Got it? Mm-hmm. Involved in accident resulting in death of two female pedestrians. Accident. Yes. Accident occurred September 5th. Approximately what time, Joe? Uh, 7.30 p.m. Right. On Los Feliz Boulevard. At intersection of Commonwealth Avenue. Okay. Now, can I see what we got? Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you. Occupant, young male, Caucasian, approximately 18 to 19 years of age. Vehicle, 1934 Ford sedan. Black with tan undercoat driven by male occupant. This car will have extensive damage to front end. Facsimile photographs of type of car wanted appear on this bulletin. got the photos right here. Side, front, and back view. Okay, this ought to do it. Let's get it down to the printing bureau right away, huh? Yeah, auto paint shops, wrecking yards, garages, repair stations used car lots insurance company. The daily papers are running a spread on it in the next edition. That ought to cover? Yeah, it's all there if it gets to the right person. Wednesday, September 9th, 10.45 a.m. The inquest of the two hit-and-run victims was held, and the jury returned a quick verdict of manslaughter, two counts, naming a John Doe as guilty. For the next three weeks, we received numerous phone calls concerning the black Ford sedan. All leads were checked out and failed to materialize. Cars fitting the description of the wadded vehicle were constantly being stopped and the occupants questioned. We got nowhere. Ben and I followed up on our bulletins. We checked various garages and paint shops. Used car lots were checked and rechecked. No luck. Monday, October 3rd, 2.30 p.m., we were on our way back to the office after having canvassed several wrecking yards and repair stations. I never knew they made so many black 34 Ford, yeah. Yeah. I don't see how we could have overlooked anything, do you? No, I don't. Something ought to break on this thing soon. We just had a little more to go on. That license number, if somebody could have seen it. Yeah, that'd help, wouldn't it? Hmm? I'll get it. Traffic, Friday. Hello, my name is Dan Provost. I run a used car lot in Dan's Corner at 54736th Avenue. Yes, sir. I'd like to talk to somebody regarding that last bulletin you sent out September 7th this year. Well, I think maybe I can help you, sir. That 34 Ford you're looking for on that hit-and-run thing? Yeah, that's right. Young kid, blonde, says he's got some repair work for us. Yeah? I got one of my mechanics stalling him now. What's the car look like, Mr. Provost? Like the one you're looking for. The reason I called is because he says he banged up the front end. Right away, I remembered the bulletin. All right, sir, see if you can hold him there, will you? We'll be right over I'll do my best. We'll be right there, sir. I think I've got your man for you. It took us 15 minutes to get to 5473 6th Avenue, Dan's corner. We crossed over the gravel-covered lot to the rear where we found a small wooden shack marked office. Dan Provost met us at the door. I'm Provost. Are you the police? Yes, sir. That's right. I'm sorry I did my best, but I couldn't hold him here without making him suspicious, but I'm sure he'll be back. How do you know? You see, he bought this car from us. Says he had a little accident and wanted us to fix it up for him. I told him we would if he'd bring it in. Why do you think he left? It's only been about 15 minutes since you called us downtown. Well, he might have heard me talking to you. Well, if he did and he's our man. I doubt very much if he'll be back. Oh, I bet he will. Blonde kid, about 19 years old, driving a black 34-4 just like the one you're after. Well, can you give us his name and the license number of the car? Sure, it's Curly Watson. License number. I got it right here. It's 9R9... 707. I looked it up on his contract. And this name, Curly, you have his full name? Sorry, I guess I'm a little excited. It's, uh, Wilfred E. Watson. Everybody around here calls him Curly. I'm pretty sure he's the one you want. I know that car. Bought it from us about five months ago. Well, it's just too bad you couldn't have detained him just a little longer, Mr. Provost. Well, like I say, you don't have to worry. He'll be back. What makes you so sure? From the way he described the damage to us, I'd say he's got about $75 to $100 worth of work on that front end. Yeah, I know he's the man you want. I'm going to be in trouble if he's not. What do you mean? Well, it was the only thing I could do on the spur of the moment like that. Yeah? That's how I know for sure he'll be back here. Well, how's that? I told him I'd fix his car free.
2: You are in the forgery division of a metropolitan police department. Handwriting analysis. Handwriting analysis. All right, now write the alphabet in lowercase, please. You are listening to a handwriting expert taking an exemplar of a suspect's handwriting.
1: Now write the numerals from 1 to 10, please. This handwriting sample will be compared with a forged signature. Side by side, two signatures may often look alike, but closer examination will prove a world of difference. You'll find the same is true when you compare king-size cigarettes.
2: Fatimas are the same length as any other king-size cigarette, 85 millimeters. Fatima has the same circumference, one and one sixty-fourths
1: inches around. And Fatima filters the smoke exactly the same long distance as other king-size cigarettes. But in Fatima, the difference is quality. Fatima gives you extra mildness, a much different, much better flavor and aroma. You get all the advantages of extra length plus Fatima quality, which no other king size cigarette has. So compare Fatima yourself. Your first puff will tell you.
3: Ah, that's different.
1: Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Best of all long cigarettes.
4: We called Lieutenant McDiarmid and filled him in. He sent Sergeants Kilpatrick and McClendon out to relieve Ben and me and to maintain a stakeout on Dan's corner, the used car lot, in the event the suspect should return. We went back downtown to R&I. Wilfred E. Watson had a record and was wanted by the Fresno Police Department where he had jumped bail. The charge was grand theft. We took Watson's mugshot back to the used car lot where he was positively identified by Dan Provost. Ben and I went to his last known address. The landlady told us that Watson had moved approximately a month ago and had not left a forwarding address. From his mama's sheet, we obtained a list of his friends and associates. All efforts to locate him failed. The stakeout continued. We showed the mug shot to Richard Mortigan, the one good witness to the accident. He said he could not identify Watson as he did not get too good a look at him, but he stated that there was a possibility that he could be the man. A week went by. The whereabouts of the suspect was still unknown. Tuesday, October 10th, Ben and I were out running down a lead on Watson when we received a call to return to the office. Lieutenant McDiarmid met us as we got there.
6: Well, I put that call in for you. Anything doing man? I got a lead. I don't know how good it'll be, but we ought to check it out right away. Well, what do you got? Well, we just received a call from the Santa Monica PD. Uh-huh. Uh, Mrs. Agnes Hastings called in and gave him a little something. Yeah? As I say, maybe there's nothing in it, but see what you think. All right. Uh, the Hastings woman stopped in at a local soda fountain down there. Uh, places patronized by the hot rod crowd. Mm Mm-hmm. Said she overheard part of a conversation between a couple of the kids. Yeah. Uh, This one dark-haired boy was sitting at the counter when another kid walked in the front door. Uh, The kid that came in had red hair. The dark-haired kid said, hi, Red," and the redhead sat down by him.
4: Yeah.
6: And one of the kids made some remark about the boy's red hair, asked him why he dyed it. The redhead said, well, they're looking for a blonde, aren't they? Yeah. Could be a little something, huh? Yeah, I thought so. Then the Hastings woman followed the redheaded boy outside and took the license number of his car. Mm -hmm. Anything there? I don't know yet. Ran it through DMV, but it's not in the file. Mark Benson's got a call into Sacramento now. Anything new on Watson? No, nothing yet.
4: Where can we find this Agnes Hastings, man? Oh,
6: here's the address right here.
4: Okay, thank
6: you. That's all she had. Said she'd been following the hit-and-run story in the papers. Thought this might be worth forwarding anyway. Yeah, Oh, just a minute Mm -hmm. Traffic, McDermott Oh, hi, Art Yeah Oh, you did, huh Mm Mm-hmm Yeah, I see Uh Uh-huh Yeah Yeah, right Bye That was Art Kilpatrick He and McLendon picked up Watson Yeah, anything? They're bringing him in now They say this Watson denies the hit and run Jones will check his car over, then we'll know a little more.
4: Well, there's not much we can do until we hear from Benson on the Santa Monica thing. Well, maybe there is. What's that?
6: We got two leads. We can hope one of them's right.
4: While waiting for the call from Mark Benson at CHP, Ben and I drove over to the police garage on South Figueroa. Wilfred Watson's car had been impounded, and Lee Jones had made his investigation. His findings eliminated Watson's 34 Ford as being the hit-and-run car. Investigation showed that Watson's car was involved in an accident, but this was five days prior to the killing of the two women pedestrians. Wilfred E. Watson was booked for the Fresno authorities for prosecution on their warrant. This left only the one lead, the red-headed boy who had dyed his hair. If Agnes Hastings' observations had been correct, the fact that the boy originally had blonde hair made him a possible suspect. 11 a.m. The information from DMV came through from Sacramento. The car was registered to a Calvin L. Martin, 16 Boardwalk Lane, Santa Monica. The car was a 1939 Dodge sedan, legal the same. 16 Boardwalk Lane was a small beach house facing out on the Pacific Ocean in the town of Santa Monica. 11.26 a.m., we arrived in front of the house. This is it, number 16. Yeah, all right, let's go up on the porch. Mm-hmm. I don't see anybody around. Looks like nobody's home. Well, let's try the bell. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you're right. Nobody home. Yeah. Let's check the garage, huh? All right. It's around the side, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's right there. Oh yeah. Padlock. Maybe there's a window around the side. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come here, Joe. All right. Window's kind of dirty. I'll Wipe it off a little. Yeah, that's better, huh? Can you see anything? Take a look, Joe. I see. Yeah. Looks like a 34 Ford to me. Notice the left front fender? Yeah. Pretty badly dented, isn't it? Hmm. Looks like we're home, maybe, huh? Well, I'd like to get a closer look.
8: Thanks lot, Sid. See you at work, huh? Sure. Hey, careful about the Okay!
4: Young kid got out of a car out front. Looks like a redhead from here. Yeah, come on.
8: Hi. You men want something? Police officers. Yeah? Do you live here? Yes, I do. What's wrong?
4: What's your name? Lewis Martin who is calvin l martin
8: my father why does
4: he own a 1939 dodge
8: yeah that's right anything wrong
4: whose car is that down in the garage there
8: belongs to a friend of mine i just let him keep it in there what's his name jesse
4: yeah well jesse what
8: jesse armstrong where does he live over on venice boulevard what's the number i don't know
4: offhand and you let him park his car here in your garage and you don't know where he lives
8: well i know but i just can't think of it I don't understand. What's wrong?
4: You got a key to the garage?
8: No, Jesse's got it.
4: You don't keep a key to your own garage?
8: No, I let Jesse keep it. Have you always had red hair? Sure. Why? Red on top and blonde at the roots. Is that it? I wish you'd tell me what's going on. No, Armstrong, you tell us.
3: Well, it's a joke. All right, all right. Let's hold it
8: right here. I didn't do anything. Let me go.
4: How about it, son? That's the second time you tried to run now, isn't it?
8: How'd you find me? Who told you? You want to tell us about it? I didn't mean to hit those two women. I was coming home from up in L.A. I was late, and I was trying to hurry to get home. I I didn't see them until it was too late. Why
4: didn't you stop? Why'd you run?
8: I I was afraid. I I just couldn't face it. I thought I could get away with it, I guess. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do it.
4: Do you know those two old women died as a result of you running them down? No.
7: I didn't know they'd
8: die.
4: All right, come on, son. Let's go.
8: I didn't really mean to do it. I'll tell everybody I'm sorry. I am sorry. That'll make a difference, won't it?
4: You killed two people, you figured.
1: The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On December 17th,
2: trial was held in Superior Court, Department 81, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. And now here is our star, Jack Webb.
4: Thank you. Friends, I can give you over a dozen good reasons why Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes, but I'd rather let Fatima speak for itself. That's why I suggest that you buy a pack tomorrow. And then compare Fatima with any other long cigarette. You'll find, just as I have, Fatima's extra mildness gives you a much better flavor and aroma. You get all the advantages of extra length plus Fatima quality, which no other king-size cigarette has. Ask your dealer for Fatima. Best of all, long cigarettes.
2: The suspect, Louis T. Martin, was found guilty of manslaughter. He was sentenced to one year in the county jail and was placed on probation for five years. You have just heard Dragnet a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the Office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department.
1: Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles.
7: Stay tuned for Counterspy next over most NBC
5: stations.
1: The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima cigarettes,
2: best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet.
1: You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to homicide detail. An elderly man reports the sudden death of his wife. He claims he awoke in the morning to find her dead on the floor of their bedroom. The cause of death is not apparent. Your job? Investigate. In Fatima, the difference is quality. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Quality of tobaccos. The finest domestic and Turkish varieties extra mild. Superbly blended. To give you Fatima's much different... Much better flavor and aroma.
2: Quality of manufacture. Smooth, round, perfect Fatima cigarettes. Rolled in the finest paper money can buy. Manufactured in the newest and most modern of all cigarette factories. Quality.
1: Even to the appearance of the bright, clean, golden yellow Fatima package. So compare Fatima yourself. Today. You'll find Fatima gives you all the advantages of extra length plus Fatima quality which no other king-size cigarette has. Yes, light up a Fatima. Your first puff will tell you...
8: Ah,
3: that's different.
1: Because in Fatima, the difference is quality.
2: Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action.
4: It was Friday, November 12th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, Chief of Detectives. My name's Friday. It was 9.38 a.m. when I got back to the first floor of the Blackwell Hotel. Room 7.
6: Oh, hi, Joe. Come on.
4: Yeah. How's the old fella doing? Did he tell you anything? Hasn't talked at all. He's pretty broken up. Woman's dead. That's about it. How about the bruise on her forehead? You think that could have been it? No, it was just a slight bruise. I don't think that could have killed her. They moved the body out of the room yet? Yeah. Yeah, they just did, taking it downtown for the autopsy. Well, I guess we can take the old man back to his own room now, huh? Yeah, I think so. He's back here in the kitchen now. Mm-hmm. Fixed him a cup of coffee. Still feeling pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Mr. Turner, would you like to go back to your room now? Everything's been fixed out. Mr. Turner?
3: What happened? You can tell me. What happened to Gertrude?
4: I'm afraid we don't know, Mr. Turner, not yet.
3: I told you about it, didn't I? Woke up this morning about 8 o'clock. Put my arm over on the pillow and she wasn't there. And I got up and I saw her laying on the floor. My wife, Gertrude. I felt her arm. She was cold. Ice cold. Somebody ought to know what happened.
4: Well, we'll let you know just as soon as we get the coroner's report, sir. Would you like to go back to your own room now?
3: What's the coroner have to do with it?
4: Well, he's going to have to perform an autopsy. We'll have the report for you tomorrow morning.
3: I don't want him to do that to Gertrude. I don't want him to.
4: I'm sorry, sir. I'm afraid it's necessary. Deaths of this kind. There was no doctor in attendance. Nobody to sign the death certificate.
3: There's nothing I can do. Nothing to help her.
4: I'm sorry, Mr. Turner. (laughs) Can we help you back to your room, sir?
3: (laughs) Is she still there?
4: No, sir. They've taken her body downtown. Can I give you a hand there?
3: Thank you. (laughs) All
4: right. I'll get the door.
3: Where'd Mr. Parkson go? Who's that, sir? The hotel manager, Mr. Parkson. Oh, yeah. These are his rooms here. I wanted to tell him thank you for letting me stay down here a while.
4: Well, I think he'll be back in a few minutes. He was busy outside.
3: Nice of him. Let me use his place. I couldn't stay in our room. Not the way it was in It's
4: all right now, Mr. Turner. Can you make the stairs
3: all right? Yes, sir, thank you. I'm just a little tired, that's all. I guess the whole thing's been too much for me.
4: Maybe you'd like to have us call your family doctor.
3: No, we don't have a family doctor. I'll be all right after a spell. It's just hard to understand, that's all. I have to think about it a while. Sit down and think about it.
4: Yes, sir. Here we are. I'll get the door. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah.
3: It's right there on the floor, officer. It's where I found her when I woke up. Right there by the bed.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Where have they taken her?
4: Downtown, Mr. Turner, to the county morgue.
3: Oh. They'll let me see her, won't they?
4: Yes, sir, they will. Do you feel up to answering a few questions for us now?
3: All right. I'll tell you everything I know about it. I don't see how it's going to help anything.
4: We'll try to make it as brief as possible, sir. Now, your wife's full name is Gertrude Agnes Turner. Is that right?
3: Yes, that's right. Her age? Let's see. uh, Gertrude 63. Yeah, that's it. I'm four years older than her. That's how I always tell.
4: Was your wife in good health, Mr. Turner? Under a doctor's care or anything like that?
3: No. Nothing wrong with her I know of.
4: Heart trouble? Anything like that?
3: No, sir. She used to have headaches every now and then. Doctor friend of ours back home used to send pills for her to take. That's about all.
4: How was your wife feeling last night? Was she all right then?
3: Just fine. When I woke up I put my arm over on her pillow. She wasn't there. Then I got up and saw her laying on the floor, right by the bed. Gertrude. She was ice cold. There was a little bruise up here on her forehead. I-, I thought I was dreaming. She was dead. We weren't even married a year.
4: Do you want to go on, sir? You think you feel all right?
3: <clears throat> yeah, it's all right, officer. I got a little bit of brandy in that cupboard over there. I think I could use some if you two officers don't mind. Yeah, that's
4: perfectly all right, sir. Well, I'll get it, Mr. Turner.
3: We had it all figured out Tuesday, November 16th. That's her name's day. How's that, sir? November 16th. It's my wife's name's day. You see, Gertrude's a German girl. A lot of German people don't celebrate their birthday. They celebrate their name's day instead. Next Tuesday is St. Gertrude's Day. Oh,
4: yeah, I see. There you are, Mr. Turner.
3: Thank you. Either one of you officers, for some Brandy, you're certainly welcome to. Them no, thank
4: you very much. Do you or your wife have many friends in town, Mr. Turner? <clears throat> uh,
3: no, no, just a few. Around the hotel here. Gertrude and I have only been in California a few months. Come out from Indiana, you know, Fort Wayne. Yes, sir.
4: No relatives here?
3: No, sir. Wife only had one relative living, sister. She's, she's back in Indiana.
4: Well, how did you and your wife get along, all right?
3: Oh, fine. We never had any trouble. I loved her, officer.
4: Did your wife have any enemies that you know of, sir? People she didn't get along with? Somebody who might have wanted to
3: hurt her? Oh, I can't think of anyone.
4: Well, how about some of the men your wife knew before she married you, Mr. Turner? Any bad feelings one of them might have had towards your wife?
3: No, sir. Not that I know of. Besides, all her old friends are still back there in Indiana. Mm
4: -hmm. You say your marriage was working out pretty well. Your wife didn't have any gentleman friends that she might have been interested in?
3: No, sir, I know that for the truth. Gertrude spent her time at home. She didn't run around. She was a good wife. Mm -hmm.
4: Would you know if your wife had any reason at all to take her own life, maybe?
3: Well, that's the last thing in the world, Gertrude, to do. No reason for it. We had too many things to look forward to. Lots of things. You don't stop living just because you passed 65. Yes, sir. Tell me the truth, officer. Don't you really know what happened to her?
4: No, sir, no more than you do. Afraid we'll have to wait for that coroner's report.
3: I don't understand it, officer. How am I supposed to understand it? Sir? I went to bed last night and I had a wife. Yes, sir. Today's my day off. We're going to take a car ride down the beach. That's the dress she was going to wear hanging up there. Gertrude made it herself. She was going to wear it today.
4: I'll try to take it easy, Mr. Turner.
3: I beg your pardon. She's all I had. Why should she have to die? She didn't have to die, did she?
4: I don't know, sir. Maybe she didn't have a choice. The body of the dead woman, Mrs. Gertrude Agnes Turner, was removed to the county morgue for autopsy. Ben and I filled out the 311 form, the dead body report, and filed it pending the outcome of the autopsy. A couple of Mr. Turner's friends, who lived upstairs from him at the Blackwell Hotel, agreed to look after the old man until he got over the shock of his wife's sudden death. 7.45 the next morning, I checked in for work as usual.
6: Morning, Joe.
4: Morning, what do you know? Not much, pretty slow. How about the Turner woman? No word on the autopsy, huh? No, coroner hasn't called yet. If you've got any smokes, I left the house in a hurry this morning and forgot everything. Yeah, right here. Oh, thanks. Here you are. Thanks. Lousy morning. Another row with a wife. Oh? Uh-huh. What's mm-hmm. the matter? Oh, another one of those church bazaars she got herself mixed up in. She's calling on me for help again. Oh, yeah? what she wants you to do now? Remember the last time, don't you? That spring bazaar? Had me working on decorations down to church seven nights a week. Eighteen women running around telling you what to do. Yeah. It's like a madhouse, Joe. This time it's even worse. How do you mean? This time the ladies figure they ought to have a little more production. They want me to dress up in some kind of funny costume. Auction off pies and cakes. You know, a stovepipe hat, false mustache will work. No, oh, You turned them down, huh? You won't do it with it. Well, not exactly. Wife kicked up such a row, I guess I'll end up doing it. Got an idea, though. huh wouldn't be so bad if I had somebody to work with me. You wouldn't like to help me out, would you, Joe? Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to be a little busy, Ben, but if I get a chance, I'll drop out to see you, though. Mm. I'll get it. Yeah. Homicide Friday. Oh, yeah. How's that? Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. Okay, we'll be right over. It was Doc Cephalo over at the morgue about Miss Turner? Got the autopsy report for us? Yeah, they won't sign the death certificate. What's the trouble? A couple of things. Looks too suspicious for him, they said. How'd they list the cause of death? She suffocated. 8.15 a.m. We went across the street and talked with Dr. Cephalou. All he could tell us was that Gertrude Turner had suffered severe convulsions and that she'd died of suffocation. There was a small bruise in her forehead and numerous other small bruises around the base of the throat. Not enough to say that the woman had been murdered, and yet too much to dismiss the case as an accidental death. Together with Lorman and Barrett from Homicide, Ben and I looked up some of the friends of Mr. and Mrs. Turner. We found two points which didn't check out with the story that Mr. Turner had told us. According to the friends, Turner had had some violent arguments with his wife. On at least one occasion, he'd struck her. And secondly, the dead woman did have a gentleman friend in the neighborhood, but his conduct with her had been above question. It was strictly friendship. We decided to take it from there. We went back to the Blackwell Hotel and found Mr. Turner in his room. He was wrapping up some of his wife's personal effects and packing them in corrugated boxes. We told him about the coroner's report.
3: I don't think I believe that, Sergeant. People just don't suffocate. There's got to be a reason for it.
4: Yes, sir. That's what we're looking for.
3: Well, don't they know? Can't they tell you how it happened to the
4: doctors? Well, she had severe convulsions. She suffocated. That's just all they could tell us.
3: With a bruise on her head. Gertrude's forehead. What did they say about that?
4: Well, that wasn't the cause of death, Mr. Turner. She could have gotten a bump when she fell out of bed. It might have been that. It might not.
3: I just don't understand. You'd think there'd be some way of telling.
4: Well, we were around talking to some of your friends in the neighborhood this morning. Friends of you and your wife.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, they've been real friends, officers. Every one of them. Been up to see me. Brought me meals and things. Say, isn't that a pretty thing? Just look at that. Yes, sir. Real bone china. A cup and a saucer. Gertrude used to collect them. Had all kinds. Pretty.
4: Yes, sir. When we were talking to you yesterday, sir, you told us that you and your wife got along pretty well. No arguments?
3: Yes, sir, that's right.
4: Well, now, some of your friends tell us that you used to argue with your wife quite a bit.
3: Who told you that?
4: Some of your friends here in the neighborhood. Is that true?
3: Oh. Mm. When we first got married, Gertrude and I, I guess we had a few spats. No different than other people. Getting used to each other. Things like that, you know.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, did you ever strike your wife, Mr. Turner?
3: Why do you ask that?
4: Routine question. Did you ever strike your wife, Mr. Turner?
3: Yes. One of the first arguments we had. I don't even remember what it was about. That's how important it was. Mm-hmm. I... Well, I lost my temper, I guess. I I kind of slapped her. I felt like a no-good bum. Never once happened again. Slapping Gertrude. It's hard to remember it right now.
4: Well, we asked you the same question yesterday, sir. Couldn't you have told us that then?
3: Oh, well, I'm sorry, officer. I, I guess I missed it. I, well, I wasn't feeling too good. I think you know what I mean. But you remember us
4: asking if your wife had any gentleman friends?
3: Yes, I remember that.
4: Well, now, is it true?
3: Well, there's one fellow named Clyde Warren. Runs a drug store down the street. I guess Gertrude knew him better than anybody, but he was my friend, too.
4: Well, did you ever complain to this Clyde Warren that he was spending too much time around your wife that so he ought to see less of it?
3: I think I did, maybe once or twice. It was kind of in a fooling way. Certainly didn't mean it. Clyde Warren's one of my best friends.
4: Did you ever complain to your wife that she was seeing too much Warren?
3: No, sir. Never even mentioned it. Why ask me all these things?
4: Well, your wife's dead, Mr. Turner, and we still haven't found out why.
3: But she asked me questions like I had something to do with it.
4: You were the last one to see her alive, sir. You were alone with her in this room the night she died.
3: You think I killed Gertrude? Is that it? You think I killed my own wife?
4: No, sir. We didn't say anyone killed her.
3: You think I killed my own wife, you think I killed her.
4: Well, did you kill her, Mr.
3: Turner? You know I didn't kill Gertrude. You know I didn't do that.
4: Well, I'm sorry, sir. There's not much else we can do now. What do you mean? The coroner found a series of bruises on the body, right? right? around here, the base of the neck. We know she died of suffocation. The two things seem to fit pretty well.
3: I don't know what you mean. I didn't see any bruises, not on her neck. I don't know what you mean.
4: We'll have to take you downtown, sir. You can call your lawyer now, if you like.
3: I don't have a lawyer. Why are you taking me downtown?
4: No alternative. We're going to have to book you. How's that? Suspicion of murder.
3: 10.25
4: a.m. Before we booked him at the main jail, Mr. Turner asked us if we'd get off a telegram to his sister-in-law, Mrs. Helen Raymond, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, informing her of what had happened. We told him we would, and we did. We booked him in on suspicion of 187 P.C., and then we checked back in at the office. We put in a call to the insurance company that held a policy on Mrs. Turner. Yes, sir, Gertrude Agnes Turner. Mm Mm-hmm. What was that? All right. Right, thank you, sir. Goodbye. What'd they have to say? Mrs. Turner had three different policies on her life, total of $5,000. Mr. Turner's a beneficiary on all three. Well, that'll do for a motive. There's something else here. Yeah. Newest policies for $1,000, industrial policy. When was it taken out? Three weeks ago.
2: You are in the scientific investigation division of a metropolitan police department, the ballistics room.
1: You have just heard a test bullet fired from a 38 caliber revolver found in the possession of a suspect.
2: The test slug is removed from the ballistics box and compared with the slug
1: found at the scene of the crime. There they are. Side by side, they look alike. But examination will prove a world of difference. You'll find the same is true when you compare king-size cigarettes. Fatimas are the
2: same length as any other king-size cigarette, 85 millimeters. Fatima
1: has the same circumference, one and one sixty-fourth inches around. And Fatima filters the smoke exactly the same long distance as other king-size cigarettes. But in Fatima, the difference is quality. Fatima gives you extra mildness, a much different, much better flavor and aroma. You get all the advantages of extra length plus Fatima quality. Which no other king size cigarette has. So compare Fatima yourself. Your first puff will tell you,
3: Ah, that's different.
1: Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Buy Fatima. Best of all long cigarettes.
4: Monday, November 15th, 10 a.m., the investigation went on. We failed to uncover any additional evidence against the suspect, Mr. Turner. We had three main points against the man. The recently issued insurance policy on his wife for $1,000, the fact that he had fought with his wife and struck her on several occasions, and the series of bruises which had been discovered at the base of the dead woman's neck. Well, as it stood, we weren't too sure that the case had holed up in court. Ben was less sure that the old man was actually responsible for the death of his wife. We figured if Turner was guilty, we might try to impress him with the evidence against him and attempt to get a confession. Monday, 1 p.m., we went over to the main jail to interrogate the suspect. You want to step aside there? They want to lock that door. Oh, yes. This way, Mr. Turner. I'll get the lights
6: switch.
4: Right here, Mr. Turner. Mr. Turner, you'd like to sit down?
3: All right. Thank you. Why'd you come to see me? Have you found out something?
4: We've been checking a little bit further into the case, Mr. Turner. we got a few more questions for you, if you don't mind.
3: Did you send the message to Mrs. and Mrs. Raymond, the one I asked you to send? Yes, yeah, sir. We took care of it. You got the address right, didn't you? Fort Wayne, Indiana? That's right, sir. She sent a telegram, told her all about it. That was two days ago. She should have gotten it by now. I haven't heard a word from her. Are you sure she got the telegram all right?
4: Pretty sure. We'll check on it when we get back to the office. A few things we got here that you might like to know about, sir. Maybe you can help clear them up for us.
3: What's that, officer?
4: We understand that your wife, Gertrude, had some insurance on herself. Five thousand dollars worth.
3: That... Yes, that's right. Something you want to know about it? Well, she
4: named you as the beneficiary in each of her policies, is that correct?
3: Yes, sir. Gertrude was a great believer in insurance. Don't hold with it too much myself. She used to tell me all the time. Yes, sir. In case she died first, she wanted me to have a little something for old age. Something to retire on. and Get a little ranch out in the valley.
8: I understand she took out
6: a policy just lately, a thousand dollars about three weeks ago.
3: I know about it. I didn't want her to do it. Clean waste of money, I told her. Payments are pretty steep.
4: Well, sir, is there anybody who can back that up? That you told your wife you didn't want her to take out that policy?
3: Mm, no, I don't think so. We didn't talk about our business with other people.
1: Mm. Yeah. Friday, Romero. Yeah, what is it? Phone call says it's important. You don't want
4: to You want to get it, Ben? you okay.
1: You can take it out to the desk here.
4: All right, thanks.
3: I think I know what you mean, the insurance. You think that's why I killed Gertrude, isn't that right?
4: Well, sir, put yourself in our place, Mr. Turner. What would you think?
3: You know in your heart I didn't kill my wife. You know that in your heart.
4: Well, they don't pay us for what we believe, Turner. They pay us to get the facts, to run down evidence. doesn't make any difference what I believe.
3: But you know I didn't kill her. You know that, don't you?
4: Well, sir, I know we asked you if you ever argued with your wife, and you told us no. We found out you beat her up a couple of times. We asked you if she was friendly with any of the men in the neighborhood. You told us no. We found one. We asked you about the bruises the coroner found on her neck. You don't know. You can't explain them. We ask you if your wife had been ill, if she had any sickness, to explain her dying the way she did, and you said no. We asked you about the insurance. You can't explain that either. Three weeks before she dies, she takes out a $1,000 on her life. She dies in the same room with you, and you don't know how or why. Now, you tell me, mister. What are we supposed to believe?
3: I, I didn't kill her. Somebody has to believe it. Somebody. I didn't kill her.
4: Joe, see you a minute. Yeah. Yeah. had phone call, it was long distance. Turner's sister in law Mrs. Raymond. what she want? Calling from Fort Wayne. She's flying out here tonight. Seemed pretty wrought up. About her sister, huh? Mostly about Mr. Turner, she claims he's innocent. Seems pretty sure of it. She can prove that Turner didn't kill his wife? That's what she said. She's bringing the proof with her. Tuesday, November 16th. Turner's sister-in-law, Mrs. Raymond, was scheduled to arrive at 6 p.m. by plane from Indiana. At 2 p.m., one of the main points in the case against the suspect was proven false. A woman friend of Mrs. Turner, after reading of the husband's arrest in the paper, informed us that while Mrs. Turner was visiting her home a few days before she died, she complained of a severe headache. The woman's son, who was studying to be a chiropractor, attempted to treat Mrs. Turner's headache by manipulating the muscles in her neck and shoulders. The woman said that Mrs. Turner called the next day and complained about receiving bruises on her neck as a result of her son's experimental treatment. The son came down to the office and signed a full statement to this effect. At 7 p.m., Mr. Turner's sister-in-law arrived. With her was a Dr. John Grant, a Fort Wayne physician. The two of them told us their story and gave us all the information they had concerning the case. Ben and I went immediately to the main jail, picked up Mr. Turner, and brought him back to the office. His sister-in-law and Dr. Grant waited in the adjoining room.
3: Why'd you bring me here? You are gonna ask me more questions? I told you everything.
4: No, sir. No more questions.
3: You can't take me off to prison. I haven't had a trial yet.
4: No, sir. You're not gonna have a trial, Mr. Turner. We're releasing you. How's that? Your sister-in-law, Ms. Raymond, she's in the next room with her doctor. They're going to take you home, sir.
3: I don't think I understand, officer. How do you mean?
4: Your sister-in-law just got in from Fort Wayne tonight, and she has her family doctor with her. They told us about your wife, Gertrude, everything we had to know.
3: About Gertrude? My wife? what do you mean, officer?
4: Well, maybe you can understand, sir. Your wife was afraid to let you know. She told her sister she was afraid it might break up her marriage.
3: Afraid to tell me what?
4: Well, your wife suffered from epilepsy. She had it most of her life.
3: She had epilepsy?
4: Yes, sir, she did. And this Dr. Grant showed us that he's been sending your wife medicine ever since you moved out here to California. He treated her many times for the same thing before you met her. She figured it might ruin her chances of marrying you, so she kept it a secret.
3: The medicine. I remember that. Used to come through the mail.
4: And that's it, sir. Counts for the headache she had the night before she died. She probably had an attack during the night, suffocated. That's how you found her in the morning.
3: Well, why didn't they know? The coroner, they examined her.
4: Well, sir, that's just the point. If you die of epilepsy, there's just no way of telling, not even by autopsy. Convulsions and suffocation, that's the only way they can list it.
3: And she was ashamed, Gertrude. She was afraid to tell me.
4: Yes, sir, that's what she wrote to your sister-in-law. We saw the letters.
3: And I can leave now if I want to? Is it all right?
4: We'll get you things from the property clerk first, and then you can go.
3: Can I see Helen now? My sister-in-law. I'd like to say hello. Yes, sir, you can. It's right through that door. Well, right. thank you kindly. It's all right. Officer. Yes? Sir? Just one thing I'd like to ask. Yes, sir? You knew all the time, didn't you? I mean, in your own heart. How's that? I couldn't have killed Gertrude. In your own heart, you knew that, didn't you? Officer? Yes, sir, I know it. I thought you did. I'll be right back.
4: Joe? Huh? I wouldn't worry about him. What's that? We'll call it a white lie.
1: The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On November
2: 16th, a meeting was held in the office of Blaine Steed, captain of Homicide. In a moment, the results of that
1: meeting. And now, here is our star, Jack Webb.
4: Thank you. Friends, the makers of Fatima do everything possible to produce the king-size cigarette that you want. Just as we on Dragnet try to bring you the kind of entertainment that you want. Well, in our honest opinion, Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes... And I know from reading our dragnet mail that more and more of you back me up on that. If you haven't tried Fatima's yet, may I suggest you buy a pack? You'll find Fatima gives you all the advantages of extra length plus Fatima quality, which no other king size cigarette has. Remember, tomorrow, first chance you get, buy Fatima. <laughs>
2: The death of Gertrude Agnes Turner was proved beyond a doubt to be due to natural causes. A 9.10 report was made which completely exonerated the husband of the dead woman. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department.
7: Stay tuned for Counterspy next over most
1: NBC stations.
0: Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of golden age radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn, stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.